Hey everybody, before we start the MinMax Show podcast, I wanted to jump in and let you know for the last time that another Eden, The Cat Beyond Time and Space, is available now on Steam. This is from Masato Kado, the writer of Chrono Trigger, the writer and director of Chrono Cross. It has a live orchestrated soundtrack with over 60 songs, and the main theme is composed by Yasunori Mitsuda, my favorite composer of all time, who composed Chrono Trigger, Xenogears. So if you enjoy JRPGs and free-to-play games that will not get in your face with microtransactions, you can check out another Eden on Steam. You can use the link bit.ly slash minmax in the description below and tell them minmax sent you. Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jacob Geller, who is treating that opening like it's a little musical number in and of itself. Yeah, there's there's music throughout the podcast, right? Yeah, that's true. Welcome, sir. Uh, YouTube essay extraordinary Jacob Geller, friend of the show. It's an honor to have you back. My pleasure. Um, we also are joined by MinMax's little stinker. That's right. Serial Vasquez, everybody. Melovision <laughs> engage. Mm -hmm. uh, and Janet Garcia. Welcome, Janet. Hey, what did I get a thing? Um, let's see. <laughs> um, the old blurry Careful. shelf Garcia herself. I don't know what's going on behind you. I need I need more sensory input to get something to, to play off of. That's fair. Okay. Uh, hey, on this episode of the podcast, we're talking about Resident Evil Village. Uh, not to be confused with Resident Evil 8. A completely different game. Uh, so we'll talk about that demo, the big showcase from last week, all that fun stuff. Also, um, we have, forgive us, listeners and viewers, for we have sinned, for we have not talked about It Takes Two. Uh, really in a big way yet on the podcast. So on this episode, we're going to talk about it. Um, and then we're going to talk about a game called Before Your Eyes, which maybe you haven't heard of, but by the end of this conversation, you're going to be running. Running to the nearest computer. Um, and then Leo Vader is going to join us to talk about some other stuff. And then back half of the show are some great community questions submitted over on Patreon. And before we go even further, I feel like it's a nice reminder every once in a while, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you for being here. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast version of the MinMax show for free. That's just in your regular podcast feed and your favorite podcast app. Sometimes people are confused, think that it's a Patreon exclusive. I don't know why it'd be confusing, Jacob Geller, because clearly at the $5 tier on Patreon, you get early access to this podcast. And at the $10 tier, you can watch us record it live for the earliest access. I don't know why people can't keep it straight. This is, they teach this in public schools. Everyone should know. <laughs> the Patreon tier system. Basic Patreon tiering systems. <laughs> oh boy, it's a mess. Uh, what's new, Jacob Geller? What have you been up to, man? Uh, not much. I mean, I, I messaged you specifically to be like, let me come and talk about before your eyes. Um, so that's been exciting. Other than that, I don't know. Uh, I'm in North Carolina. It's very nice here. And I, I think there are other parts of the country that still have snow, but I've just been like sitting on my back deck planting flowers. I think I'm going to become a lawn guy. Ooh, careful. Wait, there's no coming did you back. Did I have a lawn before? And you're just like, I. Oh, oh no, I did. But now I've decided to care about it. Oh, OK. We all, all have right. to make that leap at some point in our life to start caring yeah, about. So a lawn. Uh, no more videos for me. It is all lawn all the time now. Okay. Yeah, was, was it a huge revelation where you're like, man, I wish I had. Wait a second. And you go outside and it's like, yes. I was like, I can do this and no one yells at me for not including a minute detail of it. Do you think there's no comments in the, on the lawn? Do you if think someone that someone leaves a sign on your lawn says would, first? <laughs> would your YouTube audience like allow you 
to make a video that was all about lawn care? Do you feel like they're they're lenient enough, or would it be an outrage about people be like, talk about a way to you hack? I no, I think I. I think I could. I mean, it's like I've read like Michael Pollan books where it's like I'm not interested in like, you know, learning about food, but he's an engaging enough writer. And like, I feel like I could probably take that journey. I would I would connect it to like grow home or something. (laughs) Yeah, grounded. There's something you could do there. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, what if there are little guys back there? I would love to know um, if you're watching, listening to this, if you're playing Grounded, if you have thoughts on Grounded, that Obsidian survival game that I feel like I assume people are playing. I just have not heard anybody mention it for the last six months. And so please let us know how it's doing, how it's evolved, all that fun stuff. Um, But hey, let's talk about Resident Evil Village. Uh, They had the showcase last week. They had... Uh, a demo, a series of demos. I realized it's a it's a new world order when I had to Google demo schedule Resident Evil today just to try and figure out like what is going on with these. But basically, it's a series of demos that are timed exclusive for the window where you can play it, and then also you can only play each for thirty minutes. Am I getting that right? On yeah, PlayStation you're... Five and PlayStation Four only. Oh my God. Okay. What a mess. I don't know how we can make this clearer, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the $5 there to get it, there's a $5 tier. It's <laughs> right there. Um, did everybody get a chance to play the demos? Or demo? Yeah. Uh, yes. it, it, it's it's not a super long demo, but it did take me two tries to get through it because the first time I was, you know, kind of being very exploration-based. And then the second time I just said, okay, I'm going to set this to casual and just try to get to the end. But hang is on. There, is there a, an ending? Yes. The, once yeah. once you open the door that you find in that first Spoilers area. For the demo. But you can't play. Uh, you open a door. Uh, uh, they play like the trailer of like, hey, you did it. Like, here's the here here's like the trailer that you're that, okay. Because I, I, I didn't. I got I got kind of like the big set piece kind of cutsceney thing, and uh-huh. then I got out of there, and then I just wandered around the village for a little more, and then I was like, your thirty minutes is up. Here's the trailer. So oh, I guess yeah. I didn't actually get to the end of it. It's yeah. They just play the. Tra- they they're just like, here's your time trailer. Like so, it's the not end like is a, an ad. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got the ad. The ad so, is the real uh, ad. <laughs> they hit me with that either way. Uh, so wait, how did you play it multiple times in Serial? Aren't you locked out after 30 minutes? Uh, PlayStation 5 allows for multiple accounts to be used. Wow. And that's why we what call him the little use? stinker. Uh, uh, hello, Sony. I'd like to uh, arrest a man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, it was perfectly legal. I used my brother's totally certified <laughs> online enabled account. We just happened to be playing it together. All right. We we set, we guided each other. And then the second time we were just like, we're going to play it on casual because he's the first, the, the one kind of enemy encounter you have is, was surprisingly tough on normal. Yeah. So uh, this demo takes place in the village and if we're all thinking of the same encounter I, by the way i missed my window to play it was which was frustrating i ended up watching dan reichert stream it but it seems like the uh the first encounter you have is with the werewolf in the tall grass is that the idea there's there's a couple of i don't i don't know if they're werewolves but like there's some sort of like and it like there's a couple of enemies and they do give you a mine i just messed up my placement of the mine of where i okay i'll put it at the beginning of this other area just in case it's around me but like both of them are in that kind of uh, thick field where you yeah. can't really see much, which is really cool. It was a really cool, different thing for them to show off where you're not necessarily like you're obfuscated, not by like darkness or whatever, or like the fact that they're coming out of, you know, like 
doors or whatever but like the fact that you're kind of seeing stuff move and you're not sure if that's them or not because they're making noise the entire time so it was, yeah. it was really cool it just it just drained a lot of my ammo and so i was kind of like whoa i hope they don't have another encounter because i don't know if i'd be able to make it i'm surprised you got a mine i didn't i didn't get the mine i didn't get the shotgun i don't know what demo i was playing i was just <laughs> out there no no weapons just vibes no i did get a gun and like that encounter was um what's funny about it since it's a demo and it doesn't save like your progress is not carried over um from village to the other full demo or the the main game so i was like you know what I w- and i streamed it and i'm like you know what this doesn't matter it's not real i'm just gonna w- waste all my ammo on this bullet sponge of an enemy and like i was thinking though like okay when the game actually happens i can't live like this because it's not gonna last long <laughs> yeah yeah i had my first um actually a little bit earlier than the field because you walk into the house that you find there's a shotgun in it and then when you pick up the shotgun at least for me there's a werewolf that kind of like it was like pulling boards off the window oh, it was cool. very resident evil 4-esque in terms of like i could see out the window a little bit and this thing was like pulling boards off and then i you know shot it with a shotgun but yeah it was it was neat if, even though there are only like three guys yeah, I think my uh, revelation, watching this demo at least, my Resident Evil revelation, was just the idea that like, oh, this game's going to make werewolves scary, which I don't know if I've ever been scared of like lichens or werewolves in any fiction, unless I'm forgetting some clear, scary version of it in the past that I missed. But it's like uh, they American were... American werewolf in London? When I his face never... goes like... I guess that is yeah, weird I mean, looking. Yeah, that's true. In this last Dota patch, like in the... Uh, they had to nerf... They had to delete a whole item from the game to fix how powerful he was. Mm. And then... Yeah, so so he, he was very scary. Um, but yeah, werewolves usually not like a... Like they're usually like a... Okay, here's a, a tougher than average enemy, but you maybe they're like one boss fight and they're not that bad. Yeah. Uh, Janet, did you have any revelations or like big impressions about the, about the demo that maybe you weren't expecting? Um, I I felt like it was really pulling in some of the best elements of Resident Evil. The nice thing about being a late to the party Resident Evil fan is I don't got to play any of the bad games or any of the presumably bad games. I'm like, I don't need to experience the things that y'all complain about as like being too right. deviated from the formula. I can just get the formula. So like my <laughs> RE backgrounds, RE8, RE2 remake. I played like a tiny, tiny bit of RE4 on Switch and then just stopped and never came back, uh, as I do with most games. Um, So, yeah, it did feel like it was pulling in a lot of those elements, which was cool. Um, I think what makes the werewolf really scary is the dodge that it has. Mm. That thing, like, when it starts ducking those (laughs) shots, I was like, "Mm, we're not having a good time here. We're going to have to be kind of careful. And now that I'm thinking about it, too, like, I don't know if y'all, when you killed the werewolf, if you, like, like looked over it that sounds like i'm really murderous but like you know watched its body dissolve but it like kind of vanishes in that way that was sort of similar to the maiden demo which is that literally is not part of the main game that was just like a set piece thing so um i'm interested to see how those threads connect and i'm excited to just have actual time to just walk around the world because that's my favorite thing in resident evil like yeah i i feel resident evil is such a sim horror game like it is horror technically and it, it advent action adventure by genre but like a lot of that game you're just like walking around and looking at old stuff and that's like my favorite thing about resident evil i think yeah i think you're right that was my big impression from seeing this slice and even the showcase is just like i know this is resident evil village 101 but it really hit me that like oh that's right so this game we're just gonna be like soaking in this village and kind of like slowly untangling the mystery of what exactly is going on here and so even in that demo just getting to investigate some locations just to try and piece clues together about what exactly is happening in this freak show of a town to these people it helps that the RE engine is this weird, like the effect of 
looking at that game is really powerful even though like if you look at the tech like especially when you're inside the house midway through uh and you look at individual textures it's like oh those look kind of muddy but it's like when you take any individual screenshot and like look at it for a couple seconds it's like wow this looks photorealistic Mm -hmm. and and that makes everything stand out like i was kind of i'm kind of on the fence about whether i want to play it on console or pc because on console like you more easily get access to hdr uh which made the game look incredible but then, like, fighting the actual werewolves actually made me wish I could play it on with a mouse and keyboard. Um, I'm in exactly like, the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it, I might just, like, move my PC, like, to a TV that has HDR and just get the best of both worlds and figure out how to play it. Um, but it, it was like, like that. Setup. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, basically just, you know, just, guys, I'm just gaming. Here's this entire room is a mess <laughs> for the next uh, few days. But, like, the other thing that actually kind of stood out to me was uh, there's a moment when you enter, like, enter a house and you're, you're, you basically have to open a gate for a couple of other people. And then you let them into the house and you realize that that house is like pop, like there are people in that house. Uh, and you have this extended scene that I'm not going to spoil in case you didn't want to play the demo. But like there's an extended scene where you are just in the middle of a conversation of people who have nothing to do with you. You're yeah. like, they kind of see you as an outsider. They're like, OK, this guy, like we're going to not care about you for now. We have to solve our own thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it, you kind of see some of it in the trailer. But I realize that that's not a thing that is at all common in Resident Evil, because usually you have like encounters with like one survivor at a time. And it's like you don't usually have encounter like scenes with like here's a here's a group of survivors in the way that you do with horror movies you're usually like i'm the lone guy here to you know fix whatever has already happened and it feels more like something is in like it's winding down obviously because because they they mentioned that's like we're the only ones left mm-hmm. um but it does feel like you're on the tail end of something that is happening versus you you are in the next phase of like you are seeing the remains of something that happened. And I wonder if that kind of ties into the idea of just Ethan Winters as a protagonist where he's not, you know, he's oh, the sh- <laughs> he's, he's the schlubbiest Resident Evil like protagonist. Yeah. And so he doesn't need to kick down the door and be like, Ethan's here. I'm here to save the day. He's just going to like, get yeah, whatever Ethan Winters. We have other he's, stuff going he's on. Kind man. Of like, why does this keep happening to me? I was literally <laughs> just about to mention that. Like uh, so many. The best part of this demo was just like trolling Ethan's character because <laughs> he was just like, oh, like, like. You know, again, spoilers for the demo if you kind of wanted to go in fresh, but like, oh, someone, you see someone die and it's like, oh, it's Resident Evil, of course. And he's like, oh, he's dead. Why does this keep happening to me? And it's like, way to make it about you. Yeah, it happened to you. (laughs) Yeah, you should talk Um, to Jill, see what her life is like. What's happening to you? Yeah, (laughs) I was with um, a friend who wasn't familiar with kind of any of this and the the two things he kept saying were like, wow, this looks unbelievable. You know, I feel like sometimes I have like you know gamer goggles on where it's like well every game looks pretty good now and he was like no this like this really looks good but the other thing he asked that it made me laugh he was like is resident evil in the past mm. and i was like no i think this is current day they're just they're all kind of dressed like they're from the crucible or whatever but like it's a real it you have modern guns i you know i think it's now yeah, it turns out the village is M. Night Shyamalan's village. Um, it's a very confusing <laughs> setup for this, but it's a very specific time and place. Yeah. It, it is weird that you guys mentioned like Ethan Winters as being this very like schlubby, like unimportant kind of like everyman because I feel like the trailer especially plays up how important everyone else thinks he is because mm. you know like there's like that motto of people saying Ethan Winters over and over again. <laughs> that is and, true, yes. And, it, and, it, and it's clear that the people who have kidnapped kidnapped this child like that's the premise of the game uh are like oh we like this is the ethan winters which like 
as far as we know, he it's not a reputation he's earned unless there's like some connection, obviously, between the Resident Evil 7 uh, bad guys and the Resident Evil 8 ones. But it does like it seems like their narrative of who Ethan Winters is is completely removed from what fans think. Uh, for the most part, maybe I'd be curious to see what the reactions to like, oh, we love Ethan Winters versus like, yeah, I guess he's the guy you play as, but I don't really care about him. Right. And there's some reason why Chris, <laughs> you know spoilers for the trailer like shoots his wife like clearly he's the nexus of something that maybe will slowly be revealed throughout yeah, the game but, but yeah it is weird that they're kind of leaning on this guy's like ethan winters is like the next generation of resident evil protagonist but i don't think that's really like stuck with fans maybe but no. i might be I, might, I could be totally wrong that everyone goes on forums and talks about how how ethan winters rules but i can't imagine if you like, can't i feel like it's kind of a first person thing it's like <laughs> You can't see him, so he has no kind of visual character, and the things he says are not, like, distinctive, and so it's just like, I I don't know anything about this guy. Yeah, like, he doesn't seem like he's, obviously he's newer, but it doesn't seem like he's even immediately on that tier of, like, you know, Leon, Chris, Claire, those other, it doesn't, it seems like he's just completely not in that league at all, but, like, this game definitely feels like, no, we want to make Ethan Winters, like, a capital uh, C character in the Resident Evil universe versus, like, he just happened to be this guy that was caught up in this event. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of their messaging right out of the gate with Village was, it's the end of the Ethan Winters story, please look forward to us Slowly lowering him into lava. I watch Ethan Winters die, even though I am Ethan Winters, so that probably (laughs) won't work out for finishing the game. Um, But I I feel like with the first person thing, too, and maybe, I don't know if if they intentionally made Ethan, I don't know, more doofy and more easy to make fun of than um, these other, like, marquee characters. But part of it is, like, that first person immersion, like you guys were mentioning, where, like, I feel like I'm in the Resident Evil world and experiencing it and the most fascinating parts and the things that everyone's talked about from the trailers and everything have been, oh, like these, you know, women. Now, granted, some of the conversation has been for a very specific reason on, uh, you know, how tall this woman is and stuff. But like, that's what's enticing um, and interesting. And it's like, oh, what's going on in this castle and what's happening in this universe? It's not so much like, I don't think, I don't know who's like really doing this because they like care so much about Ethan's daughter. Like, I'm just here for like the adventure and the lore and the intrigue and the crazy fights that are definitely going to happen. Like, I'm excited to see what the crazy boss battles look like in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to talk about the, the most important part of the game. Resident Evil 4 briefcase is back, baby. Oh, yeah. He got the attache. I, I mean, we didn't get to do a lot of it because obviously we only got like four items in that demo. Like there aren't, there wasn't a lot of reason to mess around with that stuff. But even just seeing it was like, okay, like I can see how I'm going to organize my inventory by like guns first and then like key items and then ammo or whatever. Like yeah, that. And, and the trailer show, this wasn't in the demo, but Mercenaries is back too. That which is, is like my favorite part of Resident Evil 4. So it really feels like they are kind of, you know, it feels like a sideways sequel to that game specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Surreal, aren't you a big mercenaries nut? Yeah, I played a lot of it in five. I, mm. I touched it a little bit in four, but because there were I I want I don't know if there were achievements tied to it in five, but I played a, a ton of it in five because it was online so you could play with friends and stuff. And there was like a whole online leaderboard thing. Uh but yeah, I played a ton of that in in five and loved it. Like that standalone game wasn't great. Like it, it, it oh, was yeah, that's right. it, it controlled really poorly and it was on the DS, right? Three DS. I yeah. think it was on three DS, yeah. But like it was just a lot of like like it, because they had made it specifically for that, it didn't feel like a cool bonus in a weird way. So it just felt like it's not that substantial to stand on its own. But seeing it as like a a, a bonus that you can do with you know in, inside Resident Evil Eight was is really cool to see. Yeah, and so that game's coming out 
surprisingly fast. May seventh, um, it's coming yeah. up, and then they have the Castle demo, which Janet this, is also PlayStation Saturday. exclusive. Yes, PlayStation, PS5, PS4 this Saturday. I think similar time slot, yeah, and then so, weekend yeah. after that. The both of the areas are opened up, so really it's one demo that we've gotten piecemealed over these two weekends oh, that we're okay. now going to get like May first or whatever. It'll be the both those sections. You have one hour across the entirety of it. So the the key is to train right now for running through the demo. That way you can take your time and like look at plates and stuff. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> That's what I'm trying oh, to do. Sweet plates. Like everyone else is trying to like save people, find out the the entry. No, I want to look at like tablecloths. Yep. That's what I came here to do. Really enjoy your PlayStation 5's graphical potential. Yeah, I'm totally with <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, and then it'll be all consoles um, and all platforms on that last weekend. Gotcha. But yeah, it seems like Capcom is just really hell bent on stretching out the discussion about Resident Evil for as long as possible. It reminds me of like, you know, Revelations 2 and how that released episodic because the whole idea was we just want to be in the conversation. We want to be the water cooler game. And I don't know how ultimately well it worked out for Revelations 2. I don't think anybody was talking about it at the water cooler, but certainly people are going to be tweeting about there's a tall lady that can step on your face for at least another couple weeks. So we really have that to look forward to. Um, but also in that, uh, showcase, they revealed a new version of Resident Evil 4, everybody, but not the remake that has been rumored for so long. Well, maybe I wonder if this was it. Like, hey, they're remaking Resident Evil 4. Boy, I can't imagine. But yeah, this is (laughs) the VR version of Resident Evil 4, which is wild because they turn it into a first person game. But yeah, which is, I guess, kind of the par for the course for a VR game, but it is exclusive to quest 2 which is kind of a bummer yeah this is this is my it's like i am the biggest resident evil 4 guy and the biggest vr guy and i cannot (laughs) play this game because i have the wrong oculus i have an oculus system but it's not the one that i need to play this or no reason it makes me real mad there's not some weird thing where you hook a cable up and you can run it from your pc or anything it's oculus quest 2 only so i have just an Oculus Rift, that doesn't work. Also, the Oculus Quest 1 doesn't work. It's maddening. Ooh. So you have two of the three, but not the correct one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so oh, I don't have I don't have a Quest more. 1. But yeah, you you have to it's just I it it makes me crazy that Facebook has bought Oculus, so now they have more money than any other VR, you know, manufacturer. And it seems like everyone else has kind of just given up. Like there aren't that many rival headsets that you can buy right now or in production. And they are just continuing to lock down the ecosystem. Yeah. Which also on that note of like the Quest 2 being exclusive, is this a system seller for y'all? Because I'm in the same Mm. boat. Like I have Quest 1. I, the Oculus Quest 1. I don't have the Quest 2. I bought my Quest 1, like, right before they came out with Quest 2, and I'm like, I didn't know what the future held. And I admittedly have not finished any games on my Quest 1, so I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do that, right? <laughs> but then also, or could, or can I? Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can see it being a timed exclusive where they're like, we really want you to buy an Oculus, Oculus Quest 2, and then, like, down the road, it's like, hey, we've somehow figured out the technology to put it on the older ones. Uh, or at least that's my hope because I don't want to have to buy a headset for one game that's a remake. Uh, at one point, and- will you give up on it being poor? like? I think it will go to other platforms for sure, but I don't know when that will happen, and I don't I, even know I if mean, it'll go to Quest Resident One ever. Evil, Resident Evil Seven 
still a PSVR exclusive. They true. never brought that to PC, and I don't think it was even an exclusivity deal. Like, as far they said at some point, we're going to bring it to PC, and then they just didn't because yeah. I think they decided it wasn't worth it. Like, it wasn't worth the work. So I, I want to hope because... God, I would love to play Resident Evil 4 in VR, but I'm not going to buy a console for it, mostly out of spite at this point. Yeah, but it does look wild to have like a first person version of just some cool old GameCube textures. Like it looks like a really <laughs> funky thing. And so, so I'm glad it's happening. And the weird thing is Armature is uh, working on it, which is a studio founded by some former retro folks, like, you know, the director of Metroid Prime. Uh, and I think a producer and some other folks, some tech folks from that era uh, of retro are at Armature. And so it's a weird project for him, but it's cool, I guess. Um, before we leave Capcom World, which is an official world that where you can leave whenever we want, um, it was announced on Wednesday that uh, new Ace Attorney games are on the way, kind of sort of new, where they were um, 3DS games that were only in Japan, but now they're finally making the right West. And so what is it going to be called? Ace Attorney, the Great... Great, oh, great Ace Attorney. And then there's one that's like the Great Ace Attorney's uh, Adventure. And the other one is like Resolve, I think, are the two. Yeah, but I think they're called, yeah, Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. So it's going to be on Switch okay. and PS4. And it's like Ace Attorney, but it's the ancestors of Ace Attorney. So it's going back to the 19th century. And yeah, one of them is in London, one of them is in like feudal Japan. And it's weird because like I think they announced along with it that they're going to have basically a visual novel mode where mm. you you basically skip all the detecting and the the having to figure out people's lies and stuff. So it just becomes like here's just a visual novel you can read from beginning to end without having to do any of the puzzle solving stuff. That's really wild. Um, and the most exciting thing, of course, is there's a character in this game called Herlock Sholmes. So we have that to look forward to. So good news for his attorney fans. Yeah, I, I'm glad that the that series' penchant for incredible names uh, stretches back into history. So. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, we're a little bit late to the party, but It Takes Two, we should talk about. Uh, this is from uh, Joseph Ferris, who's the creative director, going back to Brothers. Their last game was Way Out. Hazelight is the development team. EA published this thing. Um, it is the co-op adventure about divorce. The co-op 3D platformer about divorce. Uh, I am like four hours in. We streamed it. You can watch it on our uh, YouTube channel over there with MinMax. I uh, streamed it with my old best friend, Ronnie. Um, Janet, did you get a chance to play more? Where are you at in this thing? Yeah, I'm now eight hours in. So okay. I can continue games. I do have the capacity <laughs> to start a game, put it down, and then pick it up again. So I'm pretty proud of that. I do plan on finishing it. Um, so yeah, I'm like pretty deep into it. I'm playing with my brother. Uh, I don't know who everyone else is playing with, but uh, we've been gaming for forever together. So... Uh, there's still some problems, but we're getting through it. We're getting okay, through it. nice. It's not too weird being, you know, playing a game about a married couple going through a divorce <laughs> with your brother. It's definitely not ideal. Okay. Um, and I would have wanted to play with my boyfriend who also games a lot, but he's just like, I know I'm not going to like this game. And I'm like, that's fair because I don't want to play it with you if you know you're not going to like it. No, it's not too weird because it's not, um, there's not a lot of, it's not like they're like, I don't know, macking on each other or anything. Like, <laughs> I play as Peach when he's Mario. I don't, like, yeah, it's you know, don't read too much into it. Like, I, right. I think too, like, a lot of people have, like, played with, like, their kid or something. Like, it's not, it's just who we are, not like, it's not too weird, but oh, good. it's not ideal. It's yeah, not ideal. Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, my big takeaway from playing just the first four hours is. Oh my God, those controls are so much better than I expected. It's a 3D platformer with like an air dash. Like it is one of the tightest 3D platformers I've played in years. And I didn't expect it from this story co-op game about divorce. It's so weird. 
Uh, Jacob Geller, uh, you seem red hot on this game. Yeah, I I have beat it. Uh, I played all the mm-hmm. way through with uh, with a friend. It's like ten hours, Janet. So you are you're almost at the end. See, um, but am I? Because I play real slow, so I'm kind of. I feel like I'm. Maybe you're halfway through. Who knows? Um, it's yeah. I I you know basically every day for a week, my friend and I played you know online, but it's still split screen. Even if you're you're not playing with someone, you know, on the couch. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we both loved it. I mean, like, kind of while playing, we're like, I can't believe how good this is. Yes. <laughs> was kind of like what we kept saying. Uh, what a great game. It it has, like, it's got big PS2 game energy. Would you would you agree with that? Like, I, I feel like, like it just feels like a game or... from, like, three generations ago. I don't know, but... Mm. I, I think it's smarter than that. Maybe conceptually it's amazing that a game like this is being funded that like, has a big emphasis on split-screen I just co-op, mean but... in terms of, like, you fight a big vacuum cleaner and its attacks are, like, expanding rings that you have to jump I over. guess that's like, true. That's like, classical thing. Mario bosses in yeah. that. Like, yeah. okay, we, we're going to have to repeat this, like, process three times. Yeah, maybe I, mean, four, I, like, I mean that only in a positive way. I, I get that for sure. Of, you know, that generation's platformers. But there's still plenty of moments in this game, too, where it's like, that's just such smart game design or like that's such an interesting use of a co-op puzzle that i haven't seen before so it's not like it's all redundant but it does my favorite stuff uh in co-op games where it just gives each person their own separate power so pretty early on it's like okay this person can shoot nails this person has a hammer and i guess you can ultimately swap if you really want to going back out to the character screen but i just love that idea of like having that natural personality and kind of fun dynamics build up from just who randomly is assigned what. Where it's like, all right, hammer person, you're going to be doing more platforming, so we'll see how that shakes out. And naturally, you're going to be arguing with your co-op buddy about shooting the nails in the wrong spot. Or like, later on, I love, they have this setup where one character can shoot like explosive gunk and like coat enemies or coat surfaces. Then the other character can actually detonate it. Like there's so many fun kind of uneven co-op abilities that just mesh together for really fun discussions. What was exciting when I was playing is like my friend and I were both like, I think I got the one that I would enjoy more. You know, right. like there were rarely times when I was like, oh, I really wish I got the gun that shot gunk. You know, like they <laughs> seem really kind of balanced in terms of how fun they are and like how much you get to do uh, with each one. Yeah, like they definitely uh, feel like um, like early encounters in Destiny raids where you're kind of like, OK, well, this person has this assigned role and they're like less kind of you're kind of less stuck to that role where it's like, OK, so if you fail, if you die, someone else can pick up your slack. But there is definitely a lot of like, um, OK, you need to do this. You need to be the setup so I can be like the the knockdown of like you need right. to, you know, shoot gunk so I can light it on fire. There's a lot of that going on. And they, they like a lot of that stuff gets more interesting as you go. But it is kind of a lot of the same kind of like okay you need to do this so i can do this it's a lot and they kind of experiment that with that and they're like really smart about it um and so like i, I definitely enjoy playing through all of it with my brother um and so like it, it is a lot of like the like as you get further along there's a lot more timing involved of like okay you need to do this constantly so mm. i can actually platform here uh and and all that stuff like it, it's a lot of like oh that's really clever and then you end up doing it for about an hour and then they and then like the kind of 
what you're doing shifts every like two hours or so. And it feels like it's not none of like no kind of part of it is like super intricate or like mind blowing, but it is just it is keeping a pace with like, okay, here's a really cool thing. Here's a sec. Here's like a racing section or whatever. whatever. We're going to have a set piece. Um, and it's just like clipping you through all these different mechanics in this really like fun and breezy way. Yeah, yeah. I think what's really exciting is like you never know what you're going to see next is the thing like i can't mm-hmm. like i'm you know eight hours in i'm toward toward the end hopefully i don't know how slow we're playing um but i have no idea like what the next um gimmick or goof or gaff is going to be or the next genre too i think something worth noting like sure this is a 3d platformer and it's like absolutely a 3d platformer but they pull in a lot of different genres too or a lot of different um marquee mechanics so even like i got like really excited about anything that has the rail grinding element even though i like fall off the rail sometimes but i'm like oh this is just fun in every game like i love it in ratchet and clank like i love it every time i encounter it so getting to do goofy stuff like that and then kind of adding co-op elements to that like there's a section where you're like grinding on a rail but you you need to like change uh what's obstructing you and like someone else is the person in charge of that so you're sort of yelling at each other oh hit the switch do this thing you're like watching the other player's screen um i really like those elements of it i will say on the front end it felt like a little bit weaker to me it took me a while to really see okay, what's everyone being hyped up about with this game? Um, And I feel like I'm often like that with 3D platformers. Maybe it's because I play a lot of them where I'm like, okay, like the vacuum is charming. But again, it is the thing with the, there's three rings and you got to jump. And I'm like, no, don't don't double jump because then it's going to hit you. And I'm kind of just doing this back and forth instruction. Um, But I really like, uh, so, so I like some parts of it more than others, but it kind of just like goes on and off for me in that sense. Because okay. it's, just, it's really just a sequence of really cool vignettes. And I think... It's so mechanically impressive, and I think they had a lot of fun making it, but I feel like the sum of its parts doesn't really say anything mechanically or narratively, and that's my biggest critique of it. There's definitely, like, early on, like, they'll hear, like, here's a new concept, and then for the first maybe 20 minutes or so, you're basically going to use it to be to do the, the, the common call-up thing of, like, oh, you need to go up here so you can make the platform so that I can go. Uh, and then from there, they go like more creative places, but it definitely feels like there is a kind of a ramp up to like to the interesting parts of each section. Strange Sloth watching us live the backstage past here. Uh, he points out that he's playing uh, with his partner and it turns out like it's not a game that you can just hand to anybody. Like it is a little bit more precise than you'd mm-hmm. expect because it's like, oh, co-op games, split screen. Great. Let's get somebody who plays a couple games. But like the camera work in particular is going to take somebody yeah. at a slightly more advanced level. I think. Yeah, it gets it gets pretty involved. Um, there are I do want to say, you know, <laughs> Janet, you, you said it's not doing much narratively. I think it's doing a lot narratively in a often baffling way like i don't i wouldn't say i dislike it but like there are there is one scene in particular that like you will know if you have gotten to the scene that is one of the most wild tone shifts i have played (laughs) in i like i i cannot wait for you to get to it ben because it it like god like me and my friend were both just like covering our faces um, it is so, so it's so sincere like it's really going for it and whether or not it hits it every time it's just like well this team or this storyteller believes in the story they're telling and i i guess i gotta respect it for just for going well, right it's into like, it it seems you know a lot of times it's like it seems like it's made for kids and kind of like you're you know you got a hammer and a nail or you're going around a workshop but then there will be these like plot beats or whatever that like do not feel like they are for, I mean, it's very kind of Joseph Fares, you know, <laughs> like he makes these really weird games and I like it, but it's like, 
it is a game about a couple considering divorce. Yeah, it it is weird, like how, uh, yeah, those tone shifts are kind of weird, and ultimately it feels like a weird like. I don't know. Like, I, I would be curious to see what kids think of it. Like, the whole concept is that, you know, there's this divorced couple that is thinking of splitting up and that's really affecting their child, obviously. And so, that she, like, she has, she finds this book about love that ends up, you know, becoming manifest as a character and turning them both into dolls. And then he's, like, basically running through the, like, oh, you need collaboration, you need passion, you need all these, like, tenets of, of what a relationship is. And, like, they're, like, at the beginning, they're constantly like, no, we've this, like, we're, we don't hate each other, but we've decided to break up. And the book is insistent that like no you have to get back together for the sake of your child which is a weird like i'm not sure how i necessarily feel about that because if you were like if you were a divorced couple who were playing that with your kid you'd be like well why can't you just fix your relationship I because we don't, I have the don't book. think it ends quite as cut and dry though because the whole time i was like are they going to say you know this you know basically you just didn't try hard enough or whatever and i don't think that's quite Get good where it ends. at love <laughs> yeah it does, it does seem to be leaning like for from what i remember because we played this game years ago but like uh what like it, it, it yeah <laughs> i mean you know we were, we're talking about this retro game so we just want to make sure that we have the proper context but like uh it, it, on the end it, it does seem like yeah we like we should try to you know kind of regain some of that affection for each other but the i do more more consistently i think i'm kind of frustrated by that book character because it oh, just yeah. seems like a needless like it, like for one he's kind of a frustrating character because he's always kind of being annoying and i don't necessarily care for the voice or whatever but yeah. it 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 seems really in love with this kind of like ah oh, you almost got it but now like we're moving the goalpost kind of approach to storytelling which i don't know if that's a, a just a thing that like maybe kids like having happen but it, it definitely <laughs> seems like a thing where it's like it constantly says oh you're at the end but no though actually there's way more and it it's weird because like on the one hand it's like oh okay cool i get to play more of the game but it like the, the way it contextualizes playing more of the game is just like oh you got to do more work and so it feels like oh like you have this mixed emotion of like oh i get to play more of the game but also like the way the game is contextualizing is like great i have to i guess i have to do more to see yeah. the end of the game which the is only good thing about narrative that thing. narrative structure is like because I feel like everyone kind of hates the book of love and so do the characters, which is nice. Like yeah. I'm, I, but I, I will say I hate him so much that I really, I really have to force myself to even like listen to the cutscenes that he's in. Cause I don't want to beats. It's the accent for me. It's just like, Oh my God, that like cringy. I'm like, mm, no, no, not a fan. But um, I think the thing is it kind of is weird because they're digging into their relationship. Right. And what's weird is this, this relationship has fallen apart due to, to some capacity apathy you don't really see them like have a really major blow up fight or whatever like sure may i don't know if someone someone cheat on someone i'm not really sure they don't really make it clear or at least not in the first eight hours of the game so you're just sort of like i don't know it doesn't work and they don't really care about it so they don't really dig into any of the deeper nuance of their problems so yeah there are a lot of tonal shifts from like hit friendly to like now they're swearing but they don't really ever dig into their relationship even the stuff mm. like and i was talking to my brother about this like right before i started recording and uh, i was asking his like feelings on the game like we're both playing it together and he's like yeah like stuff like the vacuum cleaner and like the vacuum cleaner attacks you and it's the one that like one of the one of you said you'd fix it but then you did it and instead of like digging into that more they were just like oh yeah all right well let's fight this thing so we can just keep going and try to turn ourselves alive like it's very unexplored in what narrative they're even trying to tell if they're whether it's getting back together or not or acceptance or whatever they don't really dig into the, like the deeper layers which is fine it's like mm -hmm. a, a fun 3d platformer but it, it's what makes the story weaker to me yeah yeah mm -hmm. I, I can see that um but yeah the, the cool thing about it takes two this game is they have the friend pass system so if you buy it you can give a code to your friend and play online and so 
I mean, maybe I'm blanking on a very obvious one, but playing it, I was like, is this like structurally, gameplay wise, the best story focused co op game? Uh, yeah, story I guess focused? It's, wide, yeah. it's a weird map. Uh, it's like Journey? I guess. No, like, Journey's a game you played by yourself, and then you're like, who's this other person that's here? <laughs> who's annoying? That was my Journey experience. Who's no, there? I, no I, I, can, I can see that. Maybe, like, yeah, collaborative gameplay experience, maybe a better way to put it, whereas, I mean, Journey, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it is, you know, I guess you could... Because it's, you know, there, there are levels of, like, other kind of games that have really clever collaboration, like, you know, snipper clips or whatever. <laughs> right, um, right. But, but yeah, it is, you know, it, in both the kind of, like, it's a lot of game. Like, it's a lot longer than I thought. And just kind of the the budget and the the effort that's clearly gone into this, like, it is this one thing. Like, you can't play this without a friend. Yep. You're going to have to be talking the whole time. Um do you know you can play this is towards the end you can play a full game of chess like they just have a chess board you can just play chess against your friend and like we did it that's amazing on that note where did y'all land on the mini games and like who won more between the two mm. of like you did you all play them every time you saw them like how did you what was your level of interaction with those i love those so much it is like i think it's at least where i'm at now they're like sprinkled out throughout the game in a very fun way where it's like okay the story is good we, we can keep going for the variety but let's just really drill down on these uh, games because it reminds me like I loved a way out for those silly things too of just like Same. now we'll shoot hoops for a little while or play connect four for a little while like it's I think they do a really good job of breaking things up just for a little tense rivalry yeah at the end you can see you know the your scores and whatever and I realized I missed a ton so like Ooh. there are a lot in there the, towards the end of the game there are these like really big open areas like shockingly big that have are, are pretty dense with stuff and so we didn't explore them for that long but like yeah i think there's a lot of stuff just kind of hiding around in there and it was cool because i felt like i did exactly as much as i wanted you know like if it made me do them i think i would have been frustrated but yeah uh it takes two everybody check it out we'll be talking about it at the end of the year i'm sure um okay this next game before your eyes I think I saw it on Steam. I think I saw it on the Epic Game Store and was kind of like, ah, okay, some hoity adventure game or some sort of narrative. I think I got the idea. Um, and then, Janet, you mentioned it. And then, yeah, Jacob Geller, you messaged me out of the blue and said, what was your exact message? Uh, I, I don't know. I probably said something like best game of the year so far or whatever. I think you said, yeah, um, it has redefined gaming for me. This is the game of the year, hands down. Oh, nothing. Will I will ever... have, at the end of this discussion, I will have a, a uh, superlative to apply to it. So <laughs> let's hey, just wait. why bury the lead? Hit us, dude. Okay. Okay. Um, the hardest I have ever cried playing any game. Hmm. <laughs> 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 and like not even close what's, what's the second one just to give like some oh, time i mean of and here's the thing like i cry playing games like it's not it's like were you not crying and it takes two like i gotta know what we're working <laughs> no. with here you know uh, no but i mean two like, tears <laughs> you know we got we got the like shadow of the colossus horse we got yep. like beginner's guide twists you know there okay. are there are certainly emotional games but like this one partially due to some like recent family circumstances mm. and whatever, but like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it uh, it definitely got me to where I was. We'll go back and set the table here in a bit, but I was I was shocked at the end. It was just like trigger gush. <laughs> so, oh my god! I I knew I was invested, but I did not know until until that ending exactly. But okay, before your eyes, here's the thing. I 
I don't know if getting into story beats or even like large themes here is going to convince more people to check out this game. And so yeah, I'm even I, hesitant to even I tiptoe think, I think near all that. you got to say is like the the one sentence pitch on how it works. I, I agree. Okay, so I just for the setup, I think all we need to say is it starts out and you're in a boat with a coyote that sounds like Beetlejuice and you're in the <laughs> afterlife and then you flash back and you go through the character's life. I mean, that's, I think, I think it's yeah. good to go in with just, that's all you know about the setup. Um, but the insane thing about this game, Janet, do you want to explain why it's so interesting? Sure. Um, it has a very unique mechanic and that you control the game almost exclusively by blinking. So a few seconds to process. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's on PC, so you do need a webcam. I do believe there's an option to play without the webcam if like you don't have one or maybe you just are very uncomfortable with the conceptual idea of it, but you want your webcam set up. It walks you through the setup really well. So if you ever like have calibration issues, like it should be you know pretty easy to fix those. And you do move the mouse a little bit, but it's completely by blinking. So what that means is there are two forms of progression in the game. There is a very manual progression where you have to hover over an eye icon and then blink, and then it continues or interacts with it. And then there is a sort of automatic progression where at a certain point, like when the metronome, which is a, a, a little device you use to keep time in music, when the metronome's on screen, the next time you blink, you're gonna jump forward to like the next scene. Oh and my what's God. so compelling about that is like sometimes, I'm not ready to leave. I don't want to leave yet. And you're just sort of, so it has a great cadence of um, direct control on your end and also sort of just pulling you through the story maybe quicker than you might want to go. It is such a wild idea. And that core idea of a game about flashing through somebody's life where even if you don't want to, if you blink, that moment's gone and it's moving you ahead in time is one of the most beautiful things <laughs> I've ever experienced in no, a game. I, it's like, like that I, I is chills, it. like literally I just know. talking about the idea. Of the it. idea is incredible. And so I was hoping to push it further throughout the course of that game of like, I hope to have a lot of scenes where it's like, I am so emotionally compelled to stay in the scene. And then you're at some point you have to blink and you will then move forward. And it, plays with that in a different way where it seems like the most they really push it is there's kind of some troubling things where you have to hold your eyes open for a long time. But I'm curious maybe even to play it again just to figure out like, I want them to let you miss out on key moments with characters just because you blinked and that scene went by too early. And I feel like they were- I kind of feel like I did. I mean, like the the interesting thing about it is like, characters kind of just keep talking mm -hmm. you know like they know that like you know i mean the scenes are probably not that long but for most scenes i was i would skip them in the middle of a sentence because i would i would finally be like i can't hold my eyes open anymore um and so like very frequently a character would be saying something and it would be like something i wanted to hear the end of and i would just you know i'd just miss it uh, you're almost acting as like a compulsive editor of just like when when it's not like an intense thing of like I need to see you know like there are times where they kind of do test how long he can go without blinking but like for the most part it felt like okay I'm ready to cut the scene off here because I kind of went into it knowing that like the whole point is that you're kind of missing out right um, and so I was like okay I'm ready to move on it this point and so i just kind of began editing that stuff and kind of building up my like my own version of this story uh 
and so like it was a just really weird thing and then yeah they obviously like they they kind of acknowledge that and they kind of um play around with it later on but yeah it definitely feels like they they were aware they play tasted this game a lot and were aware of kind of some of the pitfalls that come with making a game like this yeah and so like even though there are definitely scenes that i cut short by accident by like blinking too much or there were a couple times where i looked away from my camera and like just they take a drink of coffee and then it ended up skin i was like oh damn it uh <laughs> which actually feel feel like you know the thematically appropriate um, totally but it does feel like if you just experience it uh, from beginning to end, you are getting like a complete story where you don't feel like, oh, and now I need to go back through all the chapters and like collect everything. And that's that is my other really like <laughs> the thing that I really like about it is that it doesn't it's not that game at all. Right. Like they don't feel compelled to say, well, here are like extra things to look at or like, you know, here um, they have a few choices. But from what I've heard, like they're not super like there's not like, oh, the depending on your choices, you could spiral the story in okay. a very different okay. way. Okay. Uh, so I feel like most people that I've talked to, like they experienced it in like a, an hour and a half and that's it. Like that, that mm -hmm. is the runtime. You don't get a lot of like, you're never stuck. You know, it is kind of just this momentum based, like just keep going. There's no puzzles to solve. There's no, um, you know, like I said, collectibles or anything to like diverge the, the, from the story. So it just feels like it is kind of an interactive movie, but it like the interactive parts of it, I think make this game. Uh, and like are the most interesting part, but it feels like this kind of like, okay, here's how you can just design a game without any cruft in a yeah. lot of ways, where it's just like, this is a hundred percent what we want you to do. We are like, it feels, you know how, if you remember like Roger Ebert said, games aren't art because there's no like, like directorial intent or whatever. This feels like a game that kind of dismantles that argument of just like, here's Wait, so a game. you're saying games can be art. Is that what I'm hearing today? You're well, this, first first one. this feels like a game that is specifically addressing that. Not to say that we have to as a, like games are art for, you know, I think no, I'm like totally just messing that. <laughs> this feels like a game where it's just like, okay, here's what a game with like a hundred percent directorial intent looks like where yeah. it's just like you will experience what they tell you to you're not even going to get stuck you're not going to like do the thing that he mentions in that essay of like well mario could just jump in the corner for however long and like that's not art um like th it is mu it, it is very it much jumps real good though yeah yeah that's uh, true but it, it 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 feels like this is very like that that impetus of like we have to design it around blinking and like not sticking in any one place for too long feels like it led them to this design a game that is very structurally different from almost any other video game. Just to add to like the idea of like what's the gameplay of this because I do know that's a sticking point for a lot of people where they're like I don't want to just experience the story. But there is like I was kind of surprised by how much direct interaction you do have with it. Where yes, it is put moving you along, but there are specific sections of the game where um, and I'm just gonna give like a generic example. Example, um, or like actually I'll give a, a concrete one you're like looking at the stars and you can leave but if you keep interacting with the stars by like hovering over and blinking you can kind of extend the time before they like give you the forced option to leave right. if that makes any sense there's other moments too where you're like doing things like playing the piano or creating a drawing by like looking at like the pencil and then looking at the page so it does do a good job at giving you like that little smidge of more, I guess, traditional gameplay. It's still not traditional because you're blinking. Yeah, no, I But it does you. have a little bit of those layers, and I was really surprised by that, and uh, but, pleasantly surprised by it. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it, it also ties into uh, uh, it also ties into like the idea of like 
if you if you linger on this moment longer, it'll have more impact, right? Because like there are moments where there are interactable objects in the environment, but the metronome is going. And so I ended up using those interactable environments. It's like, okay, if I look at this thing, I don't have to move on. Like I can linger <laughs> on this moment by like yep. interact, like drawing this thing or looking at this object in the environment, and I don't mm -hmm. have to move on from this scene, which feels like like hey, like just this weird art, uh, kind of very direct argument for mindfulness of like just like linger in that moment. Don't think about what is next. So often right yeah i mean i've really it's just like i don't think i've ever played a game other than something like ring fit adventure where i was like battling my body's need to do something you know <laughs> that like like if you think about because i this is this will be in like a future thing that i'm writing but it's like you think about when a game makes you like push square a bunch right. that's like it, it's trying to make you like pretend that you're exerting effort you know, like that's what it's doing and, and it, it's it's fine. You know, it like it doesn't really work. And so this is like one of the only times where I was like, I literally I just want to keep doing something and I can't because of like my physical limitations as a human being. Yes. You know, I just I feel like I've never had that before. I also had to even though it's only like an hour and a half, I did take two breaks because I felt like my eyes were getting dried out and I was like <laughs> missing things. So I needed to go and like, <laughs> yeah, I, I started. I don't know if it's my camera sensitivity, but I started like uh, mimaxing it a little bit of just like, oh, if I if I do certain if I move in certain ways, I can kind of blink without my camera detecting it. So there were, there were times. Yeah, like what ways did y'all try to cheese this? Because I'm not. I would be lying if I said I did not literally cover my eyes yep. during the game to see if I could. Did not work. They counted like, as a blink when you do that. Oh, it's diabolical. Because I was streaming it, so I was like reading chat. I'm like, oh, the, it, it didn't work. By the way, so you can't you can't cheese this. How? Ooh, streaming it. I feel so sorry for you. I saw a friend of the show, Sarah Pazorski, also streamed it, and I was like, how is she handling this? And I went to it, and it's like, okay, she's just trying to like make jokes about a cat, but like, I don't know how you make jokes throughout this game. Yeah. But was it yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm very it, glad like it was an individual yeah. experience. Yeah, I think there, like, it's hard for me to, like, I want to recommend this to people who normally don't usually care for like oh yeah it's gonna be an Arthur story it's gonna be sad at the end or whatever it's, it's like gonna have these very like poignant notes or whatever but I don't care I think like I guess I'm, I'm almost like saying like it, it this feels new and it feels mm -hmm. more gamey than you might expect but also I think yeah the story is kind of one of those but I think it is told <laughs> incredibly well by the interactive part of it like yes. I don't think this is like like it's not I wouldn't describe this as a walking sim, but it feels in that mold. It feels it, in the vein of, I think you put it well, Jacob, when you called it, like it feels like in that Florence arena uh, or, mm -hmm. you know, some, I mean, Edith Finch, I guess I'm going to go for the, the walking, you know, Finch. sim adventure. Love Edith Finch. Yep. It is fantastic. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like one of those in that I am going to probably get like my parents to play this yep. game. You know, like it's it's interesting where it's like you can pitch it to gamers by saying like oh, it's more of a game that, than you might expect. But I'll pitch it to my parents by saying you will not get stuck in this game. Like mm -hmm. even even Florence had a thing where you had to like put together a, a moving puzzle. And my parents, I was like, you should play this game. You'll like it. And they liked it, but they just couldn't get past that. It was like too gamey. And it's like this is something that I feel like you don't need uh you don't need to be able to do stuff and actually i was talking to a friend about it she was like you know that there are like a number of like accessibility things where people literally you know control things with their blinks like if you're mm. if you're you know paralyzed or you know disabled in one way or another and so it feels like it's kind of radically accessible in a way that i 
can't think yeah. of many other games being. There, there is, a, I think it's important to point out that there, there are, if, you know, for whatever reason, the, the whole premise of the game uh, makes it inaccessible for you specifically, there are a couple options that you can enable. Like, there's just a mode that, you know, doesn't use the camera at all. So if you, if, the, if yeah. it's a thing that would prevent you from playing the game, there are ways to play it without it. Um, there's, I think, a, a like like the the subtitle stuff is kind of different because they're like, well, if you enable subtitles, it kind of it changes the game. So it's like you can limit it, you can limit it, so it doesn't change the game. I'm I'm curious to see what those actual differences are. Um, yeah. But I enabled subtitles, and that seemed pretty good. Like there are a couple moments where I'm curious to see how they deal with that because there's a later on there's a couple mechanics that rely on you not looking at the screen, but like. Yeah, I think I think they did a really good job of taking, you know, really thinking about what it means to have a game that is controlled entirely by your eyes. Yeah, it's just it's so awesome to have a game in 2021. And I find myself saying this a lot, which is probably a good sign for the overall industry and medium. But just to feel like, oh, this is something so new. This is mark the calendars. Something new is just ringing amazing story and gameplay out of just blinking at your computer. It is absurd like i finished it and it was like this this is a hall of famer baby this is I this mean, is it up feels, there it feels stunning that nothing has ever done it before you Especially, know like that the first yeah i maybe maybe there are maybe there are like itchio things that i'm not familiar with or whatever but like you know right out the gate it feels like not only did they use this mechanic that i've never seen before but they did maybe the most effective version of it <laughs> you know like it's totally. hard it's hard to think of yeah pairing a mechanic with a storytelling conceit that would be more effective than like these two things. Do you think this could have been, Janet, if this released back on the Kinect? Could this have been the Kinect prestige game? Because it could have handled it back in the day. System seller. I was thinking of that too with like console ports. I'm like, well, the, you can have a PlayStation camera. Um, I'm going to say no, mm-hmm. only because I think the Kinect was going for such a different kind of game. It was, I, I, what I love about Before Your Eyes, I mean, there's a lot of things, but like it kind of it had a story to tell that felt like it could only be told through the mechanic like properly through the mechanic that they used well i think the connect was like how do we find a way to get to use this mechanic um so Mm -hmm. that's and i don't know how before your eyes was designed because i haven't directly asked the the developers or anything like that but um i think that's the key difference and for me as far as recommendations i recommend this game to everybody it's one of my favorite games of the year so far oh yeah easily top 10 uh i think it's within the top five i've started kind of drafting it's in my top two it's this and valheim are really up there yeah it's like it's it's up there. It's really high. I have to figure out where it lands, but it's it's fantastic. And this is the most immersive experience I've had in a game that was not a VR game. Um, and I haven't made a comment like that since like I first got the DualSense and was like, oh, they're doing some really intriguing stuff with this controller. Um, it's just so fantastic. Uh, I don't yeah. want to spoil any of the story, but it, it it the story they were already telling was fascinating. The further it got, the more invested I yes. got in it. Um, my number one thing with recommending this game, though, is and it's, uh, the developer was like in my stream and I was talking to the developer before oh, wow. I streamed it. Um, and uh, he had mentioned that they think they are going to add somewhere on the site or on the Steam page a little bit of a trigger warning or content warning. Uh, the game does have levels of, you know, dark themes yeah. um, that are worth highlighting if you're someone that doesn't want to engage with those themes. Um, nothing too, I, I think, too left field. But I felt like well, as I was playing it, it felt very very intimate and very personal and i kind of could see a lot of people maybe not wanting to engage with that um so yeah that's something that i would take note of uh, in terms of that so i'm hoping they add that i don't think about it yet but they said they're they said they'd bring it back to the team and and maybe toss that in somewhere here's what i will say 
phone port like like yeah. Florence, yes, you know, I was my favorite that too. game. I was it's like too. put it on something that has a camera in the front of every single one of them. You know, like yeah. I I don't think that this is technically above what a phone could handle. Um, mm-hmm. If if they could get that running, I would hope. I mean, mobile games are a, a whole a whole different beast. But like I, you know, like Florence, this is a game that I would love to just be like. Here's five dollars. Buy this phone game. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually I, I was actually going to bring up that it feels like in its alternate timeline, this is like the unsung hero of like the 3DS camera of just like, oh, we put it on 3DS. Like it was like people didn't really notice it because like a camera game on 3DS sounds like a gimmick. But I feel like this would also be perfect for that platform as well, especially like if they further infuse it by saying like you have to move, you have to like use the gyroscope to look around. And that's how how that's what replaces the mouse movement. Right. Uh, I can totally see this game like working on that as well. But yeah, like a phone port at this point, it seems like. Hey, that'd be super cool. I don't know what the you know logistics of that would be, though. Yeah, Matthew Thice in the backstage pass, he brings up that uh, the game's incredibly well-timed. Like, I can't imagine being the developers working on this game and then just looking at the last year of webcam sales just skyrocketing, and I'm sure they're like, oh my god, by the time this game comes out, we're in the money, baby! Because I think that's all they care about with Before Your Eyes is that sweet cold cash. <laughs> Classic cash grab. <laughs> um, and it is it is a Kickstarter game, also. There oh was, yeah, I, really? I was actually, I was grateful. It's uh, I guess you were playing it on stream. It was like, I needed the very long list of Kickstarter backers in the credits to like emotionally recover <laughs> I could, like leave my room and so it was like yeah there were you know a couple thousand people that it it seemed to list off so yeah congrats on being a, a great kickstarter game yeah so it's goodbye world games is the name of the developer and then skybound is the publisher from uh kurtzman from walking dead um, and it was very fun. Mm. Uh, speaking of credits, uh, we saw Justice Harrison, friend of MinMax, in the credits there who works at Skybound. Um, and he was on an episode of Crossfade a while ago talking about Pink Floyd and, oh, some hip-hop artist from the Twin Cities, I forget. But, yeah, it's, it's an amazing game. Uh, before, oh, was, it, was it Idea? Yes, it was. Thank you. Um, before Your Eyes is the name of the game. PC only right now. But, um, look, it was a hurdle for me to play it. And... You know, there's still that part of me where it's like, ah, some story-based thing that's going to be emotional. I don't know. There's enough of those games out there. This one is really something else. Like, you should yeah. really check out Before Your Eyes. I, I think it's... Like, I can't get enough of being sad. Like, I like, <laughs> can't relate. I'm like, oh, we're, let's go. Like, I love love a good sad game. But also, um, one small thing I want to point out, because I mentioned that I streamed it. Uh, it is streamer-friendly. You might be wondering, if you use a webcam, how do you do Oh, sure. So, they have a setting... Um, in like once you actually start the game you go to settings and it says like capture webcam on gameplay screen or something like that so i was able to i did not like in streamlabs obs or obs have a webcam active i just had my gameplay screen with the webcam in the corner so that's just if that's you're cool. a content creator interested in highlighting this or or whatever it does lend itself to that despite using your webcam yeah oh, that's yeah. a cool idea i, I would i would like bank the chip of like even if you don't like these types of games i think this game is good enough that you should uh, go out of like make an and, exception and for this and it's an hour and a half yeah yeah, yeah. Like, Same. this isn't a big and commitment it's $10. this is a movie it's not too yeah. expensive right yeah. yeah um before your eyes everybody hey uh surreal yeah we don't need to clap um but i'm wondering if you just want to give a good long stare at your webcam and then just blink once He's not blinking, ladies and gentlemen. He's apparently very good at mid-maxing before your eyes. He'll do it. He'll blink eventually. 
Leo Vader. Wait, was that it? I was preparing my eyes. No, you blinked. <laughs> you blinked. See, maybe in, it's buddy. you. Maybe it's not the game. <laughs> right. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we should mention that uh, Before Your Eyes is not for everybody because old Leo Heart of Solid Ice Vader was like, man. <laughs> and Before my ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the story wasn't working for you, Leo? Yeah. I, the, the, my problems with the blinking technology too working, but I, I have no ill will towards it. It just didn't grab me. Yeah, that's fine. You're more of a dwarf romantic type of guy. If I had to describe myself in one <laughs> word we could all understand, I would say a dwarf romantic. It was on your dating profile for years. Yeah. Just yeah. constant swipe lefts. Um, what is dwarf romantic, Leo? Uh, it's a super simple game where you build this little town out by placing down tiles. And all you have to do is connect trees to other trees and houses to other houses. And some tiles come with little quests that are like, I want to be with 30 houses or more, or I want to be with exactly 10 trees. And then you complete the quest and you get more tiles and you just build as long as you can. And you just end up with this beautiful map of a city. And it's just a perfect little peaceful puzzle game. Yeah, it's on Steam right now. Still early access. But yeah, it kind of feels like a Carcassonne type vibe of just laying tiles a little more strategy a little more of goals in there but it's it's definitely the chillest game of the year yes and it somehow hits those notes of like feeling good by itself to play and also there are challenges that you're constantly making progress in that makes you feel good in that way yeah how much time do you think you've spent with it so far only a few hours but i intend to spend more yeah and you feel like it's it's still growing because i played it you know maybe for like half an hour it's like oh this is a cool little thing i'm looking forward to the 1.0 but you feel like there's enough right now to really sink your teeth into if you like that kind of tile placement stuff for sure i can tell there's lots of quests i haven't been able to do yet and lots of high scores i haven't reached lots of new tiles you're unlocking so you're like building more varied cities as it goes yeah and just in case i don't know maybe there's like two people out there who didn't know what the word was that you mentioned what's the name of it again dorf romantic <laughs> the it's below in the description uh for the timestamps so you can get an exact spelling that's my love language <laughs> you know acts of service dwarf romancy <laughs> hey uh jacob geller do you know how this whole thing operates uh through clever webcam technology that's it you got it otherwise known as patreon patreon.com slash minmax with two n's if you support us at any tier you get access to the wonderful discord you can submit questions for the show you can compete in trivia tower and you can get us one step closer to recording the commentary tracks for the lord of the rings trilogy one step closer just like sam and frodo climbing that mountain at the end we are so close so thanks to everybody who supports us if you've enjoyed our content lately we support you supporting us um also want to let everybody know that another eden the cat beyond time and space is a free-to-play jrpg on steam this is from masato kato the writer for chrono trigger and this is a free-to-play jrpg but i promise you will not be just overwhelmed by microtransaction and complete nonsense. It's basically just for characters that you can get. Additional characters. Like, imagine Chrono Cross, except if there are a bunch more characters, and all of those were just optional and you could roll for them. But it is a free-to-play game on Steam. You can check it out. It has complex combat and help show that there's an audience for JRPGs on Steam. So you can follow the link below. It's bit.ly slash minmax for a direct link. Otherwise, check out Another Eden on Steam, everybody. Leo? Huh? What's that sound? 
That's right, everybody. It's Rainmaker. Rainmaker. This week, MinMax is once again supported by our friends at Rainmaker.gg. Rainmaker is the all-in-one platform for streamers, developers, and publishers. If you're a streamer, Rainmaker gives you insight on your channel's performances and a full suite of streaming tools, including overlays, tipping services, chatbots, alerts, and more. Plus, get access to the game keys from the world's best AAA and indie publishers. This week, you can check out game key campaigns like Near Replicant from Square Enix and Narita Boy from Team 17 and Studio Koba. For devs and publishers, Rainmaker provides powerful tools that help you analyze game performance and discover creators on the world's biggest streaming platforms. And when it's time to get your game out there, Rainmaker's campaigns feature makes it simple to put keys into the hands of thousands of content creators across the globe, so you can head to rainmaker.gg minmax to learn even more. Um, Leo, over the last couple weeks, we've been talking about this tabletop game from Unexpected Games called The Initiative which is yeah. one to four players, uh, two to four players, I guess is a better way to put it, uh, co-op game. Um, I finally got a chance to play it this last weekend, and it is freaking awesome. Uh, you're welcome to even, hey, how's this for a plug? Google reviews for the initiative. Check it out on Board Game Geek. It is very good and very fun. Like, Leo, have you ever been interested in those legacy games, like a pandemic legacy that have kind of the ongoing story and all that stuff? For sure, where you're making actual physical marks on your thing. Right. It's not to that extent, but the initiative is kind of like a legacy light co-op game where it's all puzzle room. It kind of reminds me of like Betrayal where you have this room, you're exploring it with friends, but then along the way, you're turning pages and actually reading a comic book before the setup of every mission and it's slowly unfolding this larger mystery with each mission and the missions are like between 30 and 60 minutes so it's the first time in my life and i've played some legacy games where i've been playing a tabletop game and like i can't wait to play more just for the sake of the story like i really want to know how it continues so it's a really cool co-op game so you can check out the initiative and we're continuing to give away a copy of the initiative thanks to the fine folks at unexpected games um all you have to do is share your favorite piece of minmax content could be podcast could be this podcast could be a show could be an episode could be anything so share your favorite piece of minmax content on twitter facebook or instagram and include the hashtag minmax initiative all one word minmax initiative and then we'll randomly uh, ship out a copy of the tabletop game the initiative to the winner also thanks to i am 8-bit uh jacob geller Look alive. Don't blink. Open your eyes on this one. They want everybody to know that they have Disco Elysium, the final cut collector's edition in their store. One of your favorite games of all time, Jacob? I've already purchased that exact collector's <laughs> edition. Awesome. There we go. This is for PS5. It comes with a fabric map, an art book, and statues, a hand-painted mind totem vinyl sculpture, 190-plus page hardbound art book featuring oodles of previously unreleased art and stories, an illustrated fabric map of the the district of how do you pronounce it martin marnay thank you and it has a physical edition of disco elysium as well so you can go over there check that out in the wonderful online store from i am 8-bit and for everything under a hundred dollars in the store you can use the promo code april fools all one word april fools for 10 percent off so thanks to i am 8-bit they're so wonderful because they ship out a wonderful thing from their wonderful online store each and every week to our favorite question of the week and this week our favorite community question receives the Battletoads double vinyl the whole pop-up album so get ready for that prize if you submitted a good question over on patreon leo are you ready to get to these questions man let's get to these damn questions here they go doreen clyer writes in and she says hey clcs what is the scariest moment in a resident evil game for you or why alternatively or additionally what's the scariest resident evil game and why 
Yeah, maybe they're one of the same. Does anybody have like a go-to standout scariest RE moment in mind? The dogs outside the mansion when you try to just leave. Yeah, you can't leave. Yep, they put dogs there. Yep, jumping through horrifying. the window. Dogs is, is definitely a biggie. I mean, even in Resident Evil 2's remake, I mean, those dogs are. It's just every time you enter a room with a dog, it's just this is a new layer of challenge that I am not prepared for. Um, I feel like the here's the thing. I don't feel like Resident Evil games are. In terms of, like, horror games, I think they are near the lower level of scary. Mm. Um, it's true. That's Mr. why I can play them. It's true. <laughs> Mr. X is genuinely great. I mean, and, and I would say even, like, when he's not on screen, like, I think it's much more scary to just be, like, downstairs in the police station and hear someone, like, stomping around and open up doors totally. upstairs. Like, that would be my vote. Um I think the single, like, the moment that makes me jump is there's a part of Resident Evil 4 that is just a pure, mean jump scare where you're just, like, alone in a basement and a guy just, like, jumps out of a fridge on fire. Like, he's just like, <laughs> ah, and then he falls on the ground. And, like, that's the whole thing. And it's, it's, it, it is firmly in the, like, cheap scare department, but, like, it works. On the Resident Evil forefront, I mean... Maybe you could call this a cheap scare. I guess not. it's more just unsettling. But I am so freaked out by the sound that the regenerators make. Like, yeah, <laughs> just I like was, that I weird was labored breathing. Those. It's the freaking worst. Oh, mm-hmm. um, I don't think I've been more scared in the Resident Evil games than Resident Evil Seven getting chased around by the dad. Yeah, the dad's whiskier was... than Mister. It's Mister X, right? Yeah, yeah, like the dad's intense. The dad's intense. There's That's something also... that I am too scared to ever do in VR. There's there's that fight also in Resident Evil 7 with maybe the mom who has kind of I it's too explicit for me to even describe, but like a beehive um, somewhere. And it's just like you're just like in this kind of small house and she just like comes through the windows or whatever. And that is also, yeah, a very scary part. Oh, God. Uh, Ricky Winterborn writes in and says, what did your parents think of your gaming habits growing up? My dad referred to my Game Boy as a, quote, foolish machine. (laughs) And to get an N64 for my birthday, I had to wage a six-month war. I remember reading about that in the papers. That was really crazy. Um, But it ended in him uh, agreeing to go to basketball camp, and then he got the N64. (laughs) As most wars do. Yeah, foolish machine. What what is that? Um, Yeah, what did... uh, Leo, I'd imagine your parents were pretty freaking cool about gaming. I mean, they didn't let me have any gaming thing until I was 12, 13. I was just playing on, you know, Mac for that reason, because I, you know, we had it for word processing. (laughs) Wait, so your dad was like cool and tech savvy, but he realized the downside of gaming and so he didn't want to shove you into that world? Probably. I haven't really talked to him that much about it. Maybe it was my mom's decision. But yeah, I remember seeing in my dad's, you know, rack of CDs, Doom, and being like, whoa, my dad's cool. <laughs> Man, that's a good feeling. Yeah, pro and they certainly let me play games enough, but not enough to like have a console around. They figured that was a good, fun thing to do at friends' houses, and I can read while I'm at home. So then when did you take the deep dive? Just once you eventually got consoles, then you just made up for lost time and then said, I will now devote my career to video games. That's right, to fight back against my parents. Yeah, smart. Who is foolish now? Uh, Janet, how are your parents with this stuff? Um, they were all right. I mean, I think they weren't like the biggest fan, but they didn't 
you know, monitor my play times or anything like that. I felt like we gamed a, a normal amount. I don't think we were like going on these huge marathon binges. As far as consoles, though, and stuff, um, my brother's older than me. He's six years older than me. So he was the one that brought gaming into the house because he could speak before I could. Um, and he like for his first console, he wanted the N64. But they were like, I don't know if you're even going to play this. So that's why my first console is the SNES Junior, which came out like right at the end of like that SNES life cycle as like one final random skew. And that's why that's my first console. Huh. So they were fine after that. My honestly, my grandma was the one that mostly bought us the consoles and like the TVs and stuff. Um, my parents were cool on getting us games, usually like one for like Christmas, birthday, occasionally like out of that, but not a whole lot. Uh, and we could rent stuff and everything. My, my biggest memory of like my parents interacting with my gaming is like we would play GTA, I forgot which one, um, in my room. But it's like an M for mature game, and we were like children, so we would just like switch the TV channel if my mom was ever upstairs until she <laughs> left. And it was like very clear that like there's a controller plugged into this console. Like you're probably up to something, but we're like nothing to see here. Like not running over prostitutes or anything. Like it's all good. <laughs> so that's that's my biggest memory of my childhood gaming. Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't I didn't really get too many. I mean, my first console was the PlayStation, so I guess it was a little bit of that Leo camp of my parents, I guess, keeping me in the dark and all that stuff but mainly it was like violence like my mom really didn't like violence and so i remember i think i talked about it before but i remember struggling to buy harvest moon because she thought it was like this messed up gory bloody game and it's like no i literally mom it's about flirting and growing crops like i swear to god it's That's not how it starts no it always starts that way um much much like the uh the the person who wrote in mine was a war on many fronts where uh, my first console was the Wii uh, because I convinced my parents that I would exercise with it. Smart. I was like, I'll get, you know, it's movement. I'll get fit. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, I, I wanted to buy a PS3, not even have them buy me one. I was just like, I have I want to use my bar mitzvah money to buy a PS3. Um, and I made like an iMovie slideshow uh of, I, I don't even remember what was in it, but I do remember that it was set to the like Requiem for a Dream song. Of course. That was just Please like, tell me you still have this somewhere. God, I wonder. It's it, it must be saved on some computer that hasn't been plugged in in 12 years. Um, and then I've told this story before, but uh, I wanted to play Resident Evil 4 for the Wii. Um, and I made the argument that I had just had my bar mitzvah. And so in the Torah, I was or like in the eyes of the Torah, I was the ma a man. And so that meant I should play mature rated games. And it worked. <laughs> it worked. And for man. What does the they Torah? Were, they're just like, please shut up. <laughs> what does the Torah say about guys on fire in refrigerators? Does it mention that at any point? It probably does. Okay. I don't know. Okay, cool. Um, but the weird thing, though, and Leo, I'm wondering if you had this experience, is like I before I had consoles, I played like Flash games online, which were so much more horrible, like content wise mm. than anything you could buy, you know, in a store. And it's weird that it was like, well, my parents were nervous about playing video games. So I played like George Bush shootout on addicting games. Yeah. Interactive buddy where you just tie them to two horses and pull them in half. Yeah. You're right. There is like something about that flash blood aesthetic. That is just a certain <laughs> era of gaming. Yeah. Uh, VRG submits a comment or a question over on Patreon saying for two player couch gaming, are we talking vertical split screen or horizontal split screen? Vertical. This is, this is a game changer. Cause I feel like 
with widescreen TVs, which I guess is going to date us, like that, well, that was the moment where it's like, now you got to go vertical. But in everyone's memory, it's like, well, horizontal is the way to go. But that that's, around, that's on the old CRTs, baby. I feel like a racing game. I want it to be uh, mm. horizontal, but yeah, I mean, it's like it takes two vertical the whole time, and that was uh, that was great. Yeah, it's true. Do you like when games like Lego games or Streets of Rogue have you on one screen, and if you go too far, it pulls into like a dynamic? I like it in, in theory, but I think it's too distracting. I'm always paying attention to it, and nothing drives me more insane on this wonderful planet earth than when you're close to somebody else but not quite close enough for it to be one screen and so it's just like that razor thin break with the split screen in those lego games like ah just ah don't keep me in the zone it's uncomfortable to look at i liked in the old lego games where like you could just march to one side and then like continue to pull your buddy off a cliff because it wouldn't do split screen it would just like pull them to that direction (laughs) yeah remember that time they announced um Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga, um, back in 2019 to be released with the film, and then it's still not out. Collective hallucination. It not that wild? Like, they are cranking those things out, and then that game just hit this roadblock in development. What if everybody was so mad about 9, want them to remake it, we get a new story for Episode 9 in this game? That and would it's the, the Lego cut. That, right. honestly, I love that idea. Of like, what yeah, if you control it with blinking? Twice even so better, <laughs> yes. They're very inspired, and so they're upending all of the Lego design principles. Um, yeah, I've I've heard that it ran into a lot of development issues and it's engine issues, believe it or not. It's kind Somehow of the Lego Star Wars game has returned. That's what the press release will say <laughs> when they, <laughs> they put it out. <laughs> Uh, witty nickname here says I'm starting to this is a weird theme I'm starting to wonder if Bioshock for the Vita is actually coming out have you guys heard anything <laughs> I haven't heard anything lately I don't know I think there's a trailer a little while ago but I do you think there are any documents anywhere for the Bioshock Vita game in in Ken yes. Levine's garage is there anything totally what does it look like what if we put Before? Bioshock on Vita wait what'd you say <laughs> <Underline>. Janet <laughs> What'd you say, Janet? It's just a folder. It's just, just a an empty couple folder. Couple of pieces of loose leaf in there. <laughs> we'll put papers here when we have them. <laughs> that was such a bold move. I, I still think we should be angry about that. Because um, people went out and spent hundreds of dollars on a Vita because of that. Because they said, well, Bioshock, it's coming someday. It's, it's outrageous. Um, but I guess the lesson is game companies can announce whatever they want and no one can be held accountable. Or don't buy a console years in advance of the thing you want for it. I guess that's something else, another good lesson there. Uh, Steven Lamson uh, asks, what's the coolest thing you've ever won? Was it an event, a race, a contest, a spelling bee? What was the prize? Uh, we've never won anything. I won a yeah, competition for Mega64 the pre-roll ad contest that I've mentioned before because it kind of got the ball rolling on my whole career. It was great. It was right when I was starting Games Dome for Kids, which is my YouTube project before Game Informer. And yeah, I, I I will always remember watching the stream where they were watching all the runners up and then they accidentally play the first second of mine before they say we're about to play the winner and I'm just like frozen like, holy shit, that was mine. That's totally my first frame. <laughs> That's that amazing. Cool. It is a, a very sweet and endearing clip. You can find it on YouTube where you called in and they talked to you. Um, and you were like, 
I believe you were um, eight years old at the time is what it sounds like and feels like. But like, Mm -hmm. I think they were bracing for like, all right, who's this little kid? And then like slowly throughout the course of that discussion, I realized, which everybody realizes when they talk to you for the first time, I'm like, oh wait, this person's actually really funny. (laughs) And it's like this fun (laughs) flip and kind of like change in the room's tone, but it's really fun to go back and look at. I don't know if you have recently. No, not in a while. That's very sweet. You should go find it. Um, Let's see. Oh, you can do a commentary track of that. Right. Um, Neuroflare writes in and says, Hey Ben, does it feel like you've won now that Brandon Jones spends several minutes defending the very concept of Pop-Tarts versus Toaster Strudels um, every time Easy Allies does it? Uh, multiple people even declared, I like both. Um, I don't know if it feels like I've won in that or as much as just everybody has lost because I love Easy Allies. I've been listening to them for years. I'm still confused about the Pop-Tarts versus Toaster Strudels, and I feel like they've over-explained it and under-explained it, and now it's just a name of something that doesn't make any sense. What needs to be explained? (laughs) Because clearly one is the analogy for something that's amazing that they're looking forward to, and one is going to be trash, and everybody knows which one is which, Leo. I see. It's it's very confusing. Anyways, um, Jason McDonald writes One in. snooty. <laughs> exactly. Jason McDonald writes in. He says, hey, everyone. Uh, growing up as a PlayStation kid. Congratulations. Um, I always noticed the parallels between Naughty Dogs and Insomniac's output. From Spyro and Crash, Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter, to Resistance and Uncharted, it really felt like the two companies were side by side throughout all the generations. It wasn't until The Last of Us and Sunset Overdrive that it felt like the companies had fully diverged paths. If they were to fall back and step with each other, what would you rather see? Insomniac deliver a Last of Us Part 2 equivalent or Naughty Dog making a Spider-Man equivalent? I love this question, Jason. I love that idea of the the fun duality of uh, these two studios and then eventually they split paths in the last generation. The, the hard part about this question, uh, I was thinking about it, it's like, I, this sounds worse than I mean it, but they're both kind of ruined by naughty dog in that like i feel like in insomniac now i mean i like i just played through miles morales and i was like god they just make fun games like (laughs) this is just such a joy to play and so them having to make a last of us seems like it would be like constraining them into this like horribly dark system and naughty dog making a spider-man seems like it would be the studio that's decided it makes horribly dark things taking the fun out of a game that I love. I'm sure they could get the tone, but like, I don't, I'm more interested in Insomniac's output at this point, but like, I don't want to see them put in the Last of Us universe. No, I think, yeah, I'd love to see Naughty Dog take another stab at something lighthearted or just a shift in tone. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in that studio, I mean, that went to the studio because they fell in love with games like Crash and Jack and Daxter. And I'm sure there's Mm -hmm. a big groundswell that wants to or would be eager to try something different. Study this head exploding for three years. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. More car crash footage. Come on. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think like it's a fascinating saga where The Last of Us started, that core team started working on that reboot of Jack and Daxter. And then their heart wasn't in it, so they decided to, to pivot. But it's what could have been like if they would have carried through with that and actually had this end of PS3 darker, more realistic reboot of Jack and Daxter. But yeah, more than Naughty Dog making lighthearted stuff like Spider-Man, if you want to call that fully lighthearted, I just want smaller, more experimental stuff from Naughty Dog. Like I want them, I'm sure Lost Legacy was a, a grind, but something just in that scope and vein and let them 
bring up some new talent and try some new things. Yeah, it'd be cool if sure. they were just like, what if our primary goal is that the game is fun? Right. You know, I'm like, that is truly, I don't mean that on a slight, uh, like as a slight against no, The Last of yeah. Us 2 or whatever, but it's like, that game is not fun. Um, and and it would be cool if they were like, you know, we'll we'll figure out the story and the tone after we figure out some awesome gameplay hook. Yeah. Uh, Mark Weston writes in, he says, with the news of Sean Eskeg returning to Naughty Dog as creative director, do you think they're going to go back to having two teams again within the company like they did back with Uncharted 3 and The Last of Us? This news completely slipped by me. So thank you, Mark, for writing in about it. Um, Sean was um, the creative director for Lost Legacy. Um, and he worked on Last of Us as well. Um, and then he went on and he was a creative director for Marvel's Avengers. And I tried lining up interviews with him because he's a really fascinating guy and a really nice guy. And Square was not the most eager to line up an interview, which was frustrating. Um, so I think it's incredible that, yeah, Marvel's Avengers director, creative director, is now back at Uncharted. And so, yeah, I wonder what he's going to be working on. Um, it is that weird situation a little bit like the Insomniac analogy of having multiple creative directors under one roof, where ultimately... This is a long development story, but uh, like Rise of the Tomb Raiders creative director went to create went to Insomniac and it was that weird thing of like, well, you already have a creative director there, such a weird role, and then that led to something like Spider Man Miles Morales. So with Sean now for Marvel's Avengers going back to Naughty Dog, I would hope that there is a smaller project that hopefully he can head up there instead of just being, you know, creative director number four on the next game or something like that. I think they're doing two teams, one for, you know, Last of Us Part 3 or whatever, and then the other team is focused on remaking the previous game they just made. Oh, smart. Yeah, just forever. The Lost Legacy reboot's right. coming up soon, yeah. Right. Uh, Dustin writes in, he says, Hey there, Ninnax. A small group of my friends and I have been vaccinated. Huzzah, congratulations. Uh, I'll be going to a small barbecue with them soon, where they have the meats. <laughs> oh, good. Um, what are some S-tier sides I can bring to blow their minds? Mac and cheese. Yep. Oh, as a as a North Carolinian, I have strong opinions on this. Though mm -hmm. they might be hard to bring to like a home barbecue because mm. for me, hush puppies are like the number one thing. Um, what is that then, again? What is a hush? Right, right. What is a hush puppy? It's it's like it's 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 a deep fried bite essentially. It's like I think it's like corn flour dough or whatever. Like it's just like a little fried bite. Um, I I, I should know bite. more about like. Is there the something food. inside it? When you bite into it, what happens? Like I mean, it's just just kind of dough. You know, it's like there okay. there are tons of types of fried dough. This is one of them. Uh, coleslaw, I feel like, is a really solid you know barbecue hey, side. Hey, you want hey, some like hey, acid? Hey, hey, we're we're gonna mute your mic. It, he what asked, are "What are some S tier sides I can bring to blow their minds?" And your answer is coleslaw. Look, he asked for S-tier barbecue sides, and these are the correct answers. <laughs> all right. All Coleslaw's right. way too contentious to be an S-tier barbecue side. Like, so the people that vibe with coleslaw, like, are always talking about it, and everyone else is like, stop bringing this to the barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Well, at, nice. at my favorite fast food restaurant cookout, uh, you can get a barbecue tray with sides, and some of those sides could be a corn dog or uh, chicken nuggets. So you could maybe just bring one of those. It's good. I like the mac and cheese. It, no one's going to argue with it. It's a solid choice. I went to um, a barbecue place recently here in Minneapolis, um, and I love a good sweet potato. I was very excited to have like the sweet potato side. Then it got in. It turns out it was like mashed sweet potato, which it's tough to think of a food that like really gets brought down further from like if it was a crispy sweet potato side, that's S tier. But mashed sweet potatoes, that's like C tier at best, I think. 
in this humble podcaster's opinion. I'm also thinking potato salad just from... There's amazing potato salad. It, easily, there I have had S-tier potato salad. Mac and cheese, I love and is a great option. Mm-hmm. But for a cookout, you know, when it becomes cold, I might lose a little interest. Mm. Okay. Yeah, but I already don't have interest in the potato salad because it starts cold. Like, it's already at the worst part that a food can be. <laughs> Inedibly cold, yeah. Um, I don't know, just bring uh, grapes. Um, Jake Zielsdorf writes in and he says, I recently heard Mike Bithel say that with photo- pho- photogrammetry becoming cheaper and cheaper, we may see a future where more AAA games have a stylized look to show off how expensive they are. What do you think about this possible future? I think it sounds plausible, and I'm all for AAA devs using more resources for stylized art direction. I think that's interesting. I want that to happen. Uh, <laughs> here's here's the real answer. Animation is still super expensive. Yeah, like that's the, even even if you can scan a rock with a camera and make a perfect rock. If you want your character to be able to like bend down and pick it up in the way that they do in The Last of Us, that costs a billion dollars. And so <laughs> and and when something is hyper real like bad animation or just limited animation looks worse. And so I feel like you're really limited by by the animation budget. And when you look at like, you know, super triple A games, it seems like they're kind of flexing their animation realism, which I, I don't think is the most interesting direction things can go in. But like, I do think that's that's like a budget dividing line. Yeah, there was an interesting Unreal demo a while ago, I forget what the tool set was, but it was just randomly generated faces. And I think they were even like animating with words and stuff. And so maybe the facial animations will be maybe streamlined for smaller devs, but you're right. I mean, it's still going to be that aspect of, you know, animating Ellie taking off a jacket. It's like, well, that's, that's years of our lives. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'd love to see more stylized stuff from the AAA space. Here's hoping it still feels a ways off, but yeah, hopefully that's where it's going. Yeah. Uh, Obi Juan Dinobi writes and he says, well, listening to the most recent episode of your Patreon exclusive podcast, Min Max Council, uh, Ben mentioned that he was the most proud of the Halo Deepest Dive. It was specifically, it was like the community playing together for the Halo Deepest Dive, but thank you, Obi-Wan. Um, he says, this got me thinking, and I realized I don't know what each of the cohorts enjoy doing most at Min Max. So each of you, what's your favorite content that you've been involved in? And because Janet's brand new and <laughs> Jacob Keller, it's confusing. I mean, this doesn't need to be MinMax content. It can spread out. But do you have like a favorite piece of content that you've been involved in in your career? Yeah, career is a little bit heavy. I'd probably have to think a bit more to give an accurate answer. But the first thing I thought of when I saw this question was on my YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com backslash gameonesis. I did a Last of Us 2 drunk spoiler cast. It was Ooh. me... Gene, uh, Blessing, Laura Kate Dale. I know I only said Laura's full name and not anyone else's. Uh, Natalie Flores. I think that's all the players that were there. And um, it was three and a half hours um, of just talking about Last of Us Part Two, And it was awesome. And I had a great time making it. I think the people that watched it had a good time watching it. I don't know what that three and a half hours of me getting progressively drunker and talking mm. about The Last of Us. But yeah, it was just super fun. And it was just it felt good because it was content for the sake of just content it wasn't like seo driven it wasn't like and it was literally just people that got together and were like hey i want to talk about this game for a long time with people that i like yeah yeah for sure you know what we call three and a half hours in the deepest dive business 
a good start, Jan. No, that sounds very fun. <laughs> did you go back and watch it then and, and have moments oh, of like, God. oh, a little, no, little, no, too no, much no, 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 no. I did, I did kind of check like the end because like yeah. I, I like drank a lot and I was like, okay, wait, what's going on with this episode? And I'm like, I think this is okay. Hopefully, I don't say anything too stupid. But I'm, I'm basically the same when I drink because I'm already a lot all the time so it's, it's not it's not too big of a gap okay but the funny thing is i did text um like i messaged the group the next day and like i asked some like idiotic question about the game and blessings like you literally asked this at the end of the episode like, you, were, <laughs> you were still asking me the same question and i don't know the answer <laughs> oh boy uh yeah jacob i mean what would you think of for your favorite piece of content um i mean yeah so this is this is a big question because i Making uh, big pieces of content is kind of my job as opposed to, you know, MinMax makes a lot of big content, but it's like, you know, when you make one a month, they all feel like, oh, this is big. Yeah. Um, I think the the video on Wolfenstein and uh, and kind of uh, <laughs> racialization in the United States that I made like two years ago at this point was um, it was a big both i you know felt like that was easily the best video i had made up until that point and it was also a kind of like it felt like a there's no going back from this point where i was like okay i have increased kind of the the research and kind of production level of this a lot and going back to making videos that i was making before where i'd kind of write the script in a day or mm. whatever it feels like i can't I just like I liked how making this feels and I also don't want someone to watch this and then watch the next video and have it be like a downgrade. Uh, and so it felt like it was, you know, me kind of kicking myself into higher gear. Uh, so, yeah, that video will always have a a special place in my heart. Yeah. Leo, do you feel like you've hit that point with your own YouTube channel where it's like, well, this is a dividing line and I don't want to go back to production values from the start? Yes, I think. Yeah, the video that broke me out, the the now you see me video, it's always like is this better than that? In some way, can I point to a part of this and say, I worked harder on this aspect or something? Yeah. Do but you... my favorite piece of content that I've worked on is probably still E3 Kings from Game Informer. Mm. Something Dan Harmon said that stuck with me is that like writers and people like stuff that feels better than they could make, you know? And so when they try to write something, it feels impossible because how do you write something better than you could write? And E3 Kings, like working with Jeff Cork on that, who submitted, you know, contributed all the funniest jokes and it being so much work over such a short amount of time. It, looking back at it, I feel like separated from it in a way where it's just like, damn, I just love that thing. I'm just glad that exists. And it, what do you think it is? Is it just like the fever dream of working so much on that in such a compact amount of time? Or like, what is the magic sauce there? The collaboration was a magic sauce ingredient for sure. Working with someone else made a huge difference. And yeah, the, the sheer amount of hours, it's like, I can't believe I put myself through that and I don't know if I would again. Yeah, that seems very reasonable, but very fun to go back and look at. Um, and there's still that stupid joke that you said Jeff Cork submitted, which was, God, what, help me out, Leo. It's the Troy Baker joke in that <laughs> Three Kings. Please set up and recreate this entire joke. <laughs> Um, I don't remember exactly what Troy was saying that inspired it, but he it said was, something about like for you, Tro Troy, you put me on your head, but you shouldn't. And it's reference to all the stupid hats he wears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he was talking about riddles, but yeah, that was the launching point for that fantastic joke. Anyways, uh, Josh Fairburn writes and he says, hey, everybody, uh, with such an interesting use of the webcam for before your eyes, can you think of other games that have used alternative inputs to add to the experience? 
alternative I have uh, the correct answer for this. Uh, Tom Clancy's End War. Is it uh, voice activated? <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was like an RTS where you would like give like troops commands with your voice. <laughs> Which I never, I've, I've never even seen it played, but I remember reading about it and being like, wow, that sounds really cool. And Leo, for the ultimate test, Tom Clancy's End War. Is End War an acronym or not? Oh, is it? I hope not. So your guess is? My guess is yes. Incorrect. It is not an acronym. <laughs> you must be thinking of Tom Clancy's Hawks, which is clearly the very memorable acronym. That's a good right. one. Yeah, I don't think any voice activation in any game has ever been fun <laughs> that I can think of. It was in Hey You Pikachu, right? I you, like tell Pikachu I stuff, but you can just say anything at Pikachu in. Yeah, you can just. Um, wouldn't it. matter. Just okay. swear at him profusely. A number of consoles where you'd like blow on like the mic or whatever. I hate blow features on consoles. Blow and like, features. please, no one even clip that out because it sounds so bad. But like, when that happened, wasn't that also in like a uh, Astro's Playroom? Too? Yeah, of Not, course. It, yeah. When that when that happened, I felt like I just like flashed back so many years to like playing like Yoshi's Island on the DS and having to like fill the balloon. It's so dumb. Um, think of like dumb ones that didn't help or enhance anything. Like, do y'all remember closing the the DS for that one puzzle in like I think like, like one of the Legend of Zelda games? Hang on, I thought like, you said dumb ones, Janet. That's a cool one. <laughs> Kyle, did you figure it out when you, <laughs> turning the Switch upside down to evolve Pokemon? Wait, what? Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a Pokemon that you need to flip it upside down. So you take your Nintendo Switch and you flip it upside down. Really? Yes. I had no idea that was a thing. What the hell? There's what? a bunch of weird stuff, but none of it. I wasn't like, oh, now I'm really catching them all. Right, right. Uh, Leo's too humble to jump in, but Leo created an entire video on Mimax's channel about the history of blowing in video games. So you can <laughs> check that out for an exhaustive look. Um, we love those memories. Yeah, I don't know if this is fits really, but along the lines of webcam, uh, Burnout Paradise taking a picture of your opponent as you destroy them, or was it vice versa? God, it's been too long. I yeah, I forget. I think it was. Wait, what was that? So we, it's it's you crash into somebody, take them down, and they their Xbox Live camera takes a picture of them in that moment, and you see it, and it's so, them going. Oh! Yep. Or if they're really fast, it's them trying to moon you in just the right amount of time <laughs> when they realize that their record's going to be beat. Yeah. Right. Uh, Yarf submits a comment on Patreon saying, This Saturday, I am seeing a movie at a movie theater for the first time in 400 days. That Demon Slayer movie actually with some old buddies and my wife. And I am absolutely pumped. I understand. Um, when is the last time you all enjoyed a trip out to the movies? Birds of Prey in February of whatever year that was. <laughs> no one remembers. <laughs> I I also, I think that was the last movie that I saw in theaters as well. Oh, uh, wow. Well. And, and I liked it. Um, yeah, same. My my answer is um, going to see Portrait of a Lady on Fire by myself and and <laughs> silently weeping in the theater. <laughs> that, was in, that was in like January of 2020. I think. Yeah, that's a good theme for this episode. It's just you weeping overall. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it was either Sonic or Invisible Man. I don't know which one I saw last, but pretty close race between those two. I always get those two mixed up. I know. <laughs> which is weird. They're like the same movie, basically. <laughs> I know. My favorite thing. Please, please send me pictures if you have any. My favorite thing are <laughs> old-looking 
decrepit, decaying posters for Onward from Pixar and Call of the Wild with Harrison Ford at abandoned movie theaters. Like, I have Mm -hmm. seen multiple of those as these movie theaters are just shut down, and I've been taking a picture myself of all these old, like, sun-bleached Call of the Wild posters because it feels like Harrison Ford's Call of the Wild came out seven years ago. And it's like, no, no, that was right at the start of the pandemic and that poster just stayed in so many windows for so long it's amazing uh when i was in middle school there was like a um a weird marquee marquee that we had in our cafeteria that for some reason had a she's the man poster in the middle of it and and at some point i asked why is that still in there and they said oh because the administrator lost the key and so <laughs> it was it was like several years out but it was uh, forever locked in the cafeteria <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect uh leo which question made the show better which is your favorite mm. Mm. let's think back there's scary resident evil there's gaming habits growing up what your parents thought there's s tier sides which is a funny combination of words uh favorite content movies i feel like s tier sides you know just barely had a chance to begin you know we could have gone a lot longer with that so you want to honor s tier sides i do okay how are the rest of you feeling about that it's acceptable. That's good. It's uh, acceptable. Get hush puppies at your local uh, hush puppy dealer. <laughs> there we go. Thanks to Dustin for supporting us on Patreon and submitting that question. I'm Ape It. We'll ship out that Battletoads double vinyl. Now it's time for something we call Get a Load of This. I will go first, and I won't have it any other way. I don't care what y'all say. Um,. Here's a boring one. Get a load of this. Uh, The Final Fantasy VII Remake Twitter account tweeted something that seemed innocuous, saying, Polk, in the upcoming Intergrade chapter, voiced by by Daniel Ammerman, is the youngest and newest member of Avalanche HQ. He's often treated as a younger brother of the team. While he's dedicated to Avalanche's cause, his current passion is Fort Condor, a board game that's taken the Undercity by storm. So this seems to be confirming that compared to the original Final Fantasy VII where Fort Condor is this love it or hate it tower defense section that in the remake it seems like the way they're going to get Fort Condor content in there is it's going to be a board game within the world and it is unclear whether or not it's playable. But the fact that they highlighted it here makes me think that maybe it will be. So don't expect a full tower defense thing in the Final Fantasy VII remake upcoming chapters. That's mine. Uh, Leo? Wow us, please. I got some for my VR chat fans out there. Woo! Get a load of this one. Uh, it's something a friend of mine discovered that we've all since used called ReadyPlayer.me. And it creates a custom avatar for you based on your image. Based on you take a little picture and it makes a fully like rigged modeled avatar that works perfectly in VR. The mouth moves when you talk. And now all my friends have avatars that look like ourselves and it's super fun to hang out online like that and it's just completely free and it pops into the game pretty much automatically it's like amazingly low effort it's a really cool discovery do they look cool or is it kind of just like the emoji you or whatever yeah they're definitely a little uh stylized for sure okay i can tell who everybody is immediately easily oh that's cool that's cool uh janet 
All right. Get along this Lakers edition. A notable Ooh. Lakers journalist and fan may have never existed. Uh, this was like some wild drama. I don't know if y'all are already familiar, but uh, I think th- there's a lot I could say here. But the summation from Anthony Irwin of the uh, Lockdown Lakers podcast is pretty good, which is uh, a cynical look at it would be, quote, somebody potentially invented a character on Twitter, gave her fake cancer and had her go missing. So that this was like a huge thing that blew up. And what's crazy about it, too, is like not only a lot of community members who like do coverage or are fans of the Lakers, which the reason I know this is my brother does Lakers coverage. Mm. Um, we're talking about this, but even like athletes were talking about it. Teams were tweeting about it. Like it got really, really wild. And it's still technically speculative, but um, that's what I spent most of my week just digging into on Twitter, like jumping into rooms, like checking out the gossip. It was it was crazy. That's so weird. Nothing better than a good fake person story. Jacob Geller, you got something? Uh, get a load of this. There is a YouTube channel called Guitar SVD. Not a uh, particularly interesting name in any way, but it is just this guy and sometimes his, I think, daughter uh, who just uploads classical guitar versions of video game and like anime songs, and they are truly the most relaxing thing I can possibly imagine. And it's always just like very friendly, like single shot, you know, no aggressive editing. And he includes all of the tabs for everything he does. So if you wanted to, you know, learn that classical guitar song that he's playing from, you know, Shovel Knight or Demon Slayer or whatever, you could just do it. Uh, And he does not have, you know, many subscribers. uh, But every time he watches a video, I just click on it and my heart rate goes down you know a measurable amount uh, i really like him oh that's awesome there's a bunch of links in the description if you want to learn more about these um and one from the community is shazira posted one in the patreon exclusive discord um this is a story from massive el yap i don't know exactly how to pronounce that anyways um it's a story that david kim who's the lead systems designer, principal game designer, and game balance designer for Diablo 4, World of Warcraft, StarCraft 2. He has left Blizzard, which was quickly overshadowed by the fact that Jeff <laughs> Kaplan from uh, the Overwatch team, the Overwatch lead, that he left Blizzard as well. So it seems like this week there's a, I don't know, wave number four or five at this point of just wild old school talent at Blizzard leaving. But Jeff Kaplan leaving and overwatch having a new creative director i mean that is a huge transition over there he was one of the last big classic figures still there uh leo you interacted with him much any delightful jeff kaplan memories he bought me boba tea when i was there i didn't know what it was he said i'll get you some and he got me a nice tall cup of boba and then when uh, we were playing, you know, whatever six on six, whatever Overwatch is, and we got a team wipe, and I said, Boba break, and everybody laughed. Oh, nice. he liked your joke. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, he's certainly up there in my mind for just like beloved team leads. I mean, the community just latched onto him in such a way. It's, it's fascinating when that happens, where it's like that personality has passed our smell test and now he is just one <laughs> of the good guys within this company. Is he going to want to stay in the spotlight, pivot to somewhere else where he still is, or is he like tired of that at this point? That's what He's going to become the new Nintendo guy. He's, he's like, I'm now going to be Reggie. God, mm. he could be. He has the personality God, to do it. Could do it. Um, yeah, his, his goodbye message was surprisingly short is one of those that's like, this all feels so sudden and alarming. And when so many other higher ups at Blizzard had left, I mean, it's tough to know exactly what's going on inside that studio, but certainly it, it 
points to things changing in a big way. And, you know, they still have some old school voices. I mean, Sam Didier is one of the old school Blizzard guys. He's still there. He's the guy who came up with the name Warcraft and stuff. Like, there's still some folks there, but another change in the guard. Pretty wild. Um, all right. That's it. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. Um, Jacob Geller, what would you like to plug, sir? I just watched my videos that <laughs> Jacob Geller is the channel on YouTube. There will be a new one out on Monday. Ooh. Uh, so that's fun. What's it about? Uh, well, I, look, it's revealing. It's about uh, some games that end very well. Interesting. Look forward to that. Um, Janet, people are watching this or listening to this, and they might be saying, I would love to talk to Janet. I would love just to podcast with her about Jack 2 or maybe even my favorite games or just ask any question out of the sun. Is there anything they could do? Here's what they can do, Janet. <laughs> they can call into MinMax Council this Sunday. Oh, yeah. At I was so um, distracted by how awesome it's going to be, like just picturing <laughs> it, that I like totally... <laughs> Didn't even know what was going on. So that is April 25th, Sunday at 6 p.m. Central. Uh, you can join the MinMax Council tier on Patreon, and you can call in and podcast with Janet and us. We'll be taking... Um, Janet and I, I guess? Um, we'll be taking any and all calls. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so if you're at that $20 tier, um, it'd be a nice way to thank us uh, for the content. If you've enjoyed it recently, and just you can call in, and the floor is yours. You're welcome to ask whatever you want, podcast about whatever you want, talk about whatever you'd like. It'll be a fun time. So again, that is this Sunday... It is April 25th. We look forward to your call and we appreciate uh, the support. Also, MinMax Council is our Patreon exclusive podcast and you can also jump in uh, every single Monday and ask any question under the sun. But it's the last Sunday of every month that is the call-in episode. But on the last episode of the regular episode of MinMax Council, Kyle called in and we broke down the Shang-Chi trailer from Marvel and Kyle reviewed Nobody, that Bob Odenkirk movie and stuff. So it's a fun time. Um, also, keep in mind, we have Crossfade coming up this Friday, our music podcast, and I'm going to be on this episode. Uh, it's Matt Helgeson, former host of the Game Informer Show, uh, his music podcast where every episode they have a guest come in and make Helgeson listen to one of their favorite albums and vice versa, and you never know what's coming up and which two albums are going to be side by side. And this time, it is going to be a big discussion about Prince Paul and A Prince Among Thieves is the album that Helgeson loves. Uh, and then I chose Girl Talks Feed the Animals. And so it's going to be a really weird mashup of talking about those two and comparing those two albums. But you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Um, that's it. Does anybody else have something they want to plug? Jacob Geller's videos. Have we plugged that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Leo Vader's videos. Can we I, plug those? I like Janet's videos personally. Janet's got good Ben's videos. jokes. Thank you so much, Janet. I've been waiting for somebody to wow. say that. Not the videos, though. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. And especially thank you to everybody who supports us at the $50 tier. You know who I'm talking about. I think they go by the names. I am 8-Bit, Rainmaker.gg, Another Eden on Steam, Mirko Rico Torreno, Moonface Nick, Zachary Pliggy, Beaten Down Brian, Jawar Hello, Mark Seligai, Ludwig Roque, Andrew Ukerwitz, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Ian Clark, Andrew Valla, Cameron Wardlaw, Yarrow, Alex Payne, Clint Farley, Spiral in Your Eyes, Richard Smuts, Spider Dan, Pretham, Yarlagada, Steve Bamdad, Leo, you know who's next. <laughs> I just can't wait to hear it. Starkiller! Yeah! Clayton Myers, Slick Nick, Jesse Vitelli, and Super Serious Sam. Thanks for your support, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go! Yeah.